I put out, so th this business, I started with $267 and some change. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 278. Hope everybody's having a great week. I know I am. Market's been in a little bit of a upheaval, which has been interesting. We've got uh, all sorts of things going on on a, on a global scale. Definitely going to be interesting to see how things continue to play out here into, into Q1. At any rate, this week we've got a returning guest. We have Dom. He was on episode number 80 way back when, 20, I believe it was 2019, when his net worth was just $1.1 million, and now his net worth is over $8 million. So I won't spoil it, but uh, we'll get into the detail of how that grew so quickly and, and what he's done and has, whether or not his investment strategy has changed and, and, and some of the things that uh, he's doing in his life now. So great episode coming up with him. Super excited. Last week we had Matt. He was a realtor after being in law enforcement and net worth of $1.1 million. If you're interested to be on the show, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Still looking for that uh, 300th episode. Hopefully, we can get somebody on the on the podcast that's worth 300 plus. Be always great to learn from those that have scaled their net worth uh, to significant levels. At any rate, without any further delay, let's get into the interview with Dom. Dom, what's the update, buddy? A lot has happened in a, a relatively short period of time. Um, you know, looking back, I mean, that's just a couple of years ago. And uh, since then, I, I start started it and sold uh, a significant portion of, of my business. And today, you know, net worth is uh, just over eight million, um, you know, quickly approaching my $10 million goal that I believe I shared on the, the episode we did, uh, you know, way back when in 2019. Awesome. So sold a business. How I mean, you get a big windfall. What are you doing with that money or what have you done with that money at this point? Because your investment strategy completely changes to some degree, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if you look at what I did prior to starting the business, you know, I was very focused on, you know, significantly increasing my income. I think I even shared on that first episode we did together um, that I, I believe that, you know, the surest path to a high net worth was, you know, a, a high income paired with a high savings rate. So I was very focused on the income side of the equation, um, you know, lo looking to, just continuously put all my energy and focus in increasing, you know, income. And then at the same time, I was, you know, spending uh, or, or deploying a lot of that capital to pay off my mortgage. And I, I was investing, but I wasn't, I wasn't so focused on the investing side because I thought I would have significantly more upside if I could position myself to have a high income and eventually start a business and not have all the pressures of, you know, worrying about a mortgage I had to pay or, you know, all these fixed expenses. Um, so what happens, you know, once I start the business and, you know, even pre-sale is, you know, I, I don't have a mortgage, uh, cash flow is significantly increasing, even, you know, from, you know, my C-suite, you know, comp package, which was, you know, relatively high even back then. And I started deploying a lot more capital, uh, you know, I get, uh, you know, my, my first focus was to set up an income stream. Um, and I did a lot of that with, you know, investing in real estate, you know, probably from, uh, you know, late 2019 through early 21, I probably deployed, you know, almost $2 million into uh, cash flowing real estate. Because uh, my goal was to set up, you know, about $250,000 in passive income. So if I decided, you know, that I didn't, didn't want to work anymore, or the business, you know, failed, or um, I, I wanted to sell early, um, and I didn't get as much as I thought I was going to get, 
that, you know, that was going to be more than enough to support my family's lifestyle uh, and still have, you know, uh, access to continue investing. Uh, and then other things that I did, you know, because again, you know, the, the cash flow continued to increase, not just from the sale of the business, but also from you know, the business itself, you know, through through comp and profit distribution. Uh, I started to invest in alternatives. You know, I got uh, exposure to private equity, um, other private businesses that weren't necessarily backed by private equity, but I had the um, the opportunity to invest. I got exposure into crypto. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that, you know, kind of gives you a high level overview, but I'll pause there and see if that elicits, uh, you know, different uh, rabbit holes that we want to go down. Yeah. So let's let's rewind a little bit. When you're working in your C-suite job, at what point did you decide to, to, to pay off the house? And was that a priority versus deploying the, the cash into other real estate that was going to give you some cash flow? Yeah. So I, I always have had a, a high degree of self-awareness and I, and I had uh, you know, three major goals uh, in, 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 in life or, or maybe in, in terms of my professional life. And goal number one was to you know, enter the corporate world, make my way up the, the corporate ladder to the C-suite by the time I was 30. And I was able to check that goal off. And then you know, I also had a goal to eventually you know, start, scale and sell a business. And so while I was in the C-suite, you know, I used that cash flow there to start to mitigate risk to prepare me for the next chapter. Um, you know, you call it the entrepreneurship chapter if you want. Um, and so the goal actually was set early on. You know, this is back in 2015. I'd already had a goal to pay off the mortgage because I knew at some point I was going to find the right opportunity where, you know, the, that stars align moment where the right opportunity, you know, aligned with my skill set and my relationships um, was going to give me that fat pitch that I had been preparing for you know, for, for, you know, about a decade, you know, by the time I started, started my business, because I, I always had that itch to be an entrepreneur and I've had lots of smaller entrepreneurial opportunities, but, you know, I knew at some point there was going to be a larger one on the horizon. So uh, I did start paying off the mortgage, you know, in, as early as 2015, uh, set a goal to pay it off in seven years, ended up doing it, um, I think just over four years. Um, so I was mortgage free by mid 2018, started the business in, in February of 2019. So yeah, so that was always kind of part of the, the big plan. I'm, I would say one of my superpowers is, is being a, a super planner. And at what point, what, what was your net worth at the time that you paid off your mortgage? Um, so if, and actually I have, I have it in front of me, so I'll, I'll tell you, it was, it was sometime I think in May of 2018. So if I go back to May of 2018, my net worth back then was about 800000 Including the paid for home? Yeah, that, that included the paid for home. So at the time, the the value of the house, um, let's see here. Actually, in, uh, yeah, the value of the house back then, uh, just looking at my spreadsheet here, was call it four four hundred thousand. Yeah, to, we ended up selling it by the way just uh, just a couple months ago for about seven hundred and twenty twenty thousand. So it definitely appreciated yeah, significantly since then. So that that really was kind of the main focus. Was was getting that house paid for? That was a big chunk of your net worth, big chunk of your extra cash flow was going towards that. After that, then you started deploying into other real estate. And did you take on any debt for that real estate, or was it all paying for cash, pay, paid for with cash? Paid for in cash, and like I, I actually wasn't, you know, playing the the residential real estate game. You know, buying rentals that I was managing myself. Instead, I participated in in syndications. So, so you, you know, there there was definitely sometimes debt used in some of the syndications that I participated in, but I wasn't personally taking on the debt. You know, I I I'm I'm a big believer, or at least for for myself personally, in you know extreme optionality. 
and debt wasn't uh, wasn't going to give me the extreme optionality I was looking for. Um, I didn't want to be uh, in, in anyone else's um, debt to uh, you know limit limit the options I would have, but also to add any kind of stress to me because the the reason that I ultimately wanted to have a, a paid off mortgage and, and really no debt to to speak of to service is I didn't want to have any any shackles to you know some payment that I had to make and you know putting pressure on me to maybe do things in, in the eventual business that I knew I would start. Um, that might not be in the interest of the long-term, you know, success of that business, but you know, in the in the short-term need to have to, you know, service a mortgage or or some other debt. Interesting. So you're deploying money into these syndications. Where are you finding these syndications? A couple different places. Um, you know, one that's you know more more accessible to you know probably anyone listening to this call um, uh, is CrowdStreet. Um, so that's that's a good place. But then also private syndications. You know, so over. Over over the years, I've built a lot of relationships. You know, either through the the blog that I that I've uh, been writing for for the last you know eight years or so, GenYFinanceGuy.com, or just you know people that I've met. You know, I mean, as you as you uh, continue to to grow your your income and net worth and search for others that you know are like minded and and maybe even you know where you want to be. Um, they start to open doors for you. So I got access to, you know, other other sponsors that, you know, weren't listed on, on you know, public, uh, uh, you know, crowdfunding, you know, sites like CrowdSource or sorry, Crowd or sorry, CrowdStreet. <laughs> and yeah, so, and, you know, so it's, it's kind of a combination of, of private, you know, connections that I had and, uh, and, and, and CrowdStreet, you know, kind of initially. Okay. And what kind of return were you looking for when you're investing in, in those syndications? Um, so I was I was really looking for you know my 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 hurdle was a minimum you know kind of ten ten percent and and, and sorry and I should probably specify specify I was looking for you know kind of a cash yield of of about ten percent but overall you know a fifteen to twenty percent IRR you know if once you you know kind of a uh, include an exit at some point. Okay. Put money in these syndications. A year later, you're you're getting into the point where you're about to go start this business. What was your net worth when you started the business? So I officially uh, hung my shingle up in February of 2019, and my net worth then was 1.1 million, which which was around the same time you and I first chatted for the uh, the yep. initial interview we did. Yep. So 1.1 house is paid for. You've got a little bit of money coming in from some of these syndications probably on a quarterly basis or an annual basis I'm guessing not necessarily monthly yeah and and you know so a, a lot of the the cash flow and even even in the investments in the syndications I mean it was it was smaller amounts uh, you know pre 2019 so yeah there were you know quarterly mostly I think most of it was quarterly um, but you know now I have a, a pretty large mix of uh, cash flow that's either coming monthly quarterly semi-annually you know it all depends on the on the deal itself okay so you start this business 1.1 walk us through that first year what was it like? clients, income, how did you kind of start taking off? Because pretty soon that business exploded, right? Yeah. So in, in February of 2019, I was actually still, you know, uh, in my role as a C-suite executive for my you know employer at the time. So I, you know, I, I kind of dipped my toes in the water. Like I, I knew I wanted to start a business and I, and I thought this business had, you know, substantial, uh, you know, legs to turn into something much larger. Um, but I wasn't ready to, you know, go ahead and turn in my notice just yet. So, you know, we started our first billable job in March of 2019. You know, that February 2019 is just when I kind of got. I started as a sole proprietor before I eventually incorporated. But that's when I hung up my shingle. Billable work started in, in March 2019. In um, that first month, you know, we we did you know only three thousand dollars in billable billable revenue. But we also didn't start the job until the 25th of March. And then if you kind of think, if I think back, you know, these are going to be round numbers. So you know, don't hold me to the exact. 
amount here, but like April, we build, you know, 18 grand. And then May, it was like 24 grand. And then by June, we were billing, you know, 30 to you know $40,000 a month, somewhere in that range. And so by June, I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall that, you know, this had not only the potential, uh, or actually at that time, it was enough to replace my C-suite income because most of this was margin. I had one co-founder that, you know, he and I were doing all the billable work, but I, you know, I own the majority of the company. I did, I did gift 25%, um, you know, before we started, because I didn't know what this was going to turn into, but I wanted to also have, you know, my co-founder have a substantial stake in the outcome if it was successful. So by June, I felt comfortable that this was not only, you know, able to replace my current income um, and also my current stock, you know, kind of compensation that I had, but that it would be able to greatly exceed it. So that at that point in time in June of 2019, I, you know, drafted up uh, my, my, uh, my notice. And because I was so ingrained in the organization, um, I, I decided to give a six month notice, but I was going to be fully transparent that, you know, I fully intended to, to run my company full time, but, you know, give the company what they needed in terms of the critical things that needed my attention, but I wasn't going to be working full time. And, you know, I got a call from the CEO and, you know, he was, uh, you know, a bit more emotional than I had, uh, had expected, not, not in a, um, in an, an aggressive, you know, angry way, but in more like a, a father son relationship that he was kind of losing a son and, you know, it, Basically, we left it as, you know, he was he was very proud that I, you know, had, you know, his words, the balls to go out on my own. He's never met anyone that started in finance um, that had the balls to take the risk to be an entrepreneur. So now he looked at me as a peer and he said, hey, I want to support you in any way that I can. You know, if you promise to, you know, at least make sure that you're transferring the critical, you know, responsibilities that you have on your plate. He goes, I, I don't care. I, and I, I know that you're running your business. I won't cut your compensation and, you know, I'll do everything I can. Even that means us eventually becoming a client to help support you in your new endeavor. So that's kind of what that, you know, that first, that first year looked like my six months ended up turning into eight months. Uh, I officially left that employer in February of 2020. Um, the employer was also, you know, allowed me to either choose to, to keep my equity in the business or to cash out. Um, I decided since I no longer had, you know, uh, an ability to be a, a, an influencer in that business that I would uh, cash out my equity. So at that point in time, that was about a half million dollars that I was able to cash out. They were PE back. Looking back, you know, I probably left about a million dollars on the table when they eventually transacted transacted again. Um, you know, in, in late last year, um, but I made significantly more in both, you know, terms of, you know, cash flow from the business and my eventual sell in the business I started. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So your former employer is telling you, hey, man, we're, we're going to back you essentially. You're going to work for us, but we know you're doing this. Like, hey, we're going to support you as much as possible. I mean, what, what did you do to get that kind of dynamic with, you know, in that kind of environment, because most people would probably be like, all right, dude, you're out. Like, we don't care. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's typically how corporate America works, right? Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple things. One is, you know, I, I should, I should have said, you know, I, I started exploring this opportunity of, of creating, you know, this business um, in, in summer of 2018. And I actually had contemplated potentially partnering with the CEO that I just mentioned and the private equity firm that was invested in, you know, the firm that he founded. And, you know, this was his second round uh, with PE. But again, after after my due diligence period and, and thinking long and hard of, you know, do I really want to give up 80% of the upside um, for something that doesn't exist yet? Something that was solely reliant on, you know, my skill set, my relationships and kind of the stars aligning because of, you know, the preparation and the work that I put in, you know, the prior decade. Um, and in anticipation of this fat pitch that I knew would eventually, you know, uh, show itself. Um, so I think I, just just to add that level of context. But then the other thing to answer your question more directly that I think I did that allowed me to you know get such a sweet deal 
uh, in terms of, you know, still having a, you know, my full compensation for, for eight months uh, after I gave my notice and really my, my time going down to, you know, less than 20 hours a week, um, you know, within three months of notice and, and probably down to 10 hours a week after that was first, you know, the, 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 the business that I started was actually centered around software that I had implemented for that employer back in 2014 when I first started with them that had added incredible value. If you talk to that CEO, he would tell you that he would he would you know give me credit for adding 20% of EV because of you know the 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 application I put in and the controls and you know the 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 ability for finance to transition itself as a strategic partner to partner with the business and and it's, you know, various, you know, um, stakeholders, you know, to show them what levers they had to pull to increase top and bottom line results. I mean, when I joined the company, it was a $50 million business. When I left it, you know, was a you know $250 million business and, you know, profit margins back then were like 14% EBITDA margins. And by the time I left, they were 24%. So, you know, I, I, I enabled the organization to not only make the digital transformation to become data driven, um, you know, leveraging really good technology. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I've left my, you know, fingerprints all over the organization because it wasn't just finance. Like I, I spread my tentacles far and wide and I went out there with a servant's heart to help people get what they wanted. You know, it was always about how could I help you help this business? And then I think all along the way, although I was compensated well and I got, you know, um, you know equity and, and options in the business, I always left money on the table, meaning I always asked for less than I knew I could probably get because I wanted them to always feel like they got a good deal. And so by the time, you know, I gave my notice in June of 2019, even though they were paying me full-time compensation, you know, and I was working significantly less than the, you know, 70 hours a week that I probably put in the, you know, six years prior to giving my notice, they felt like they were still getting a good deal that they still got some part of me that was plugged into their ecosystem. Um, which is why also eventually, you know, come April, 2020, they actually ended up hiring me and I started to provide them, you know, uh, a, a service, um, you know, after I left full-time employment there. Interesting. So walk us through, how did you find this co-founder? What, what was the dynamic that you two, I mean, was he at a previous gig and you both jumped into this or how did that all kind of work out? Yeah. So my, my co-founder is actually about 10 years younger than me. So I'm 35. Um, you know, he's actually, I think he just turned 26. So we're not quite 10 years apart, but somewhere between nine and 10 years apart. And I've actually known this, uh, this guy since, you know, he was three years old. Um, and you know, he, you, you could call him like a brother. And when, when he was, you know, 16, you know, I was, I was working in corporate America. He came to my wedding. Uh, he, ex- he had expressed interest in, you know, getting into, into finance, which is, you know, kind of where I, Uh, cut my teeth. Um, And I told him at that point in time, I was like, look, you know, by the time, you know, you're ready and you're in college looking for an internship, if I'm in a position where I can give you an internship, um, I'll definitely give you that opportunity. And uh, so, you know, that was, you know, kind of a conversation at 16. Eventually he graduates high school, goes to college. um, And uh, he he reaches back out to me. You know, this is probably uh, around 2015, 2016 saying, hey, I'm, I'm still interested in finance. And uh, I love to take you up on your, um, you know, your offer to to get an internship if if it's it's something you know that's in the cards. And at that time, I was a director of of you know uh, financial operations for the same company that I, I've talked about, you know, being employed with prior to starting my own business. And uh, you know, that summer, I uh, got him an internship. Actually, had only planned on it being you know a summer internship and nothing more. But um, after a couple weeks. Uh, I realized that you know he was a very talented individual, and the things that I had him doing, um, and the, and what I had witnessed just in the first two weeks, I, I realized that he was going to be just as good, if not better, than me. 
and that I needed to keep him plugged in and, and with me wherever I go, whether I stayed employed at my previous employer or I went somewhere else. Um, so fast forward, I let him stay uh, employed with us even through college. So when he went back to school, he worked part time. I gave him projects that didn't have you know much time sensitivity, um, and he continued to develop his his you know his 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 craft and his skill set both, you know, very, you know, financially savvy and technically savvy, you know, that's where, you know, the, my magic zone is, is when you can, you know, uh, kind of overlap finance and tech technology savviness. And so when he was ready to graduate, I had, you know, already made him a full-time offer to come work with me at my previous employer. But at the same time, you know, I was talking to him about this business. I was, you know, looking to start, it was based off of, you know, software that we were using on a daily basis at my previous employer. And you kind of painted the picture of, you know, what if we could go, you know, implement this at, at scale at many different companies and add the kind of value that we've done, you know, here together. Um, and, you know, he, he's like, well, wherever you go, I want to go. Uh, and that's kind of how that partnership was, was formed. And I knew I was going to need someone like him. He actually has, you know, developed into be, you know, not only surpassed my own skill set on the technical side of what we do, but he's just been a, an incredible partner, very, you know, level-headed and, you know, probably one of the best decisions I made when I started my business. And does he live by you? Um, he actually lives in Texas and, and currently splits his time between Texas and, and, uh, and Nevada. Interesting. Okay, cool. So walk us through kind of the, the growth trajectory of the business, maybe some key points, and then, and then get into when you decided to, to, to exit a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, year one, 2019, um, you know, we, did, we ended up doing about $425,000 in fee revenue, um, you know, running on about a 42% um, or 40% uh, you know, profit margin. I call it an EBITDA margin, but we didn't have much, you know, ITDA in there. Um, you know, we were set up as an S corp, so everything was passed through to our our personal tax returns. Um, and and really, it was just it was really just you know my partner and I. Uh, we did bring on um, one full time person in uh, I think it was about September of, of 2019. So we had one employee at the time, and we had a couple contractors, people that were in my network. Then going into 2020, you know, growth growth was accelerating. Um, you know. Yes, we had the pandemic start and that got a little a little scary in terms of pipeline, uh, but we still ended up growing significantly in 2020. We ended the year, uh, we did about 1.5 million in revenue. Uh, we hired a couple more folks. And you know, what I did when I started the business is I made a list of all my smartest um, you know, friends um, that also had you know, uh, a ton of you know, finance and accounting experience that I thought would do well in this business because I thought it would be really cool to build a business with with my friends, um, you know, to get rich and, and help them get rich in the process as well. So, you know, I, I kept going after that list and, you know, my, the top five people that I had, you know, on my list all ended up joining, um, joining us at some point in time between, you know, January, 2020 and, and January of, of 2021. Uh, and then going into, uh, 2021, you know, we had set a goal to, to, you know, not, not double the business, but to, to do about, you know, 2.1, 2.2 million in, in top line. We ended the year with about 3.4 million in revenue, again, delivering about a, a 42% profit margin. And so, you know, being in a consulting business, the, the profit margin is, is quite substantial. We didn't just do consulting. We also were a reseller. Um, and I say we're, I mean, we still are it's just, I don't own a hundred, you know, we don't own a hundred percent of the company anymore, but we're also resellers. So there's commissions related to the software that we sell as well. And so I'm going to pause there. I, I don't want to ramble on, but want to make sure I'm staying on point to your question. That gives you a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of growth trajectory. Yeah. What, what were some unique, you know, turning points in that, in that business and that growth or decisions you had to make that were pretty key to then allowing you to have an exit, you know, I mean, basically like two years after you start this business. Yeah. So, 
I, I think first and foremost, I think, you know, one of the big mistakes that um, that I think some entrepreneurs make if they, you know, is, is that they start a business without having an exit in mind. I actually started this business fully intending to, to sell it. You know, I had a, a, a goal to start, you know, scale and sell the business um, in a relatively short period of time. I kind of initially put a five year target on on that. Um, but then as we continue to grow and, and we started to get, you know, uh, interested parties that, you know, were, were reaching out to us unsolicited, you know, I was already building, you know, the, the, the infrastructure in the background to make a deal process very easy, whether we went private equity or strategic buyer. And so when, when those interested parties started to reach out to us in, in, you know, late 2020, early 21, you know, I, I decided that, you know, it might be, uh, you know, an opportunistic time to, to consider selling a little earlier than that I had you know, thought was possible. And, you know, in, in doing so, you know, some of the things that I think made our business, you know, interesting to, to suitors. One is, you know, we, we probably pre-collect, you know, uh, 80 to, to 90% of all of our fees up front before we ever do, uh, you know, any, any kind of uh, work for, for a client. So cash flow becomes a non-issue. Uh, you know, the the faster we grow, the bigger the bank, you know, or the cash balance is. So, you know, essentially our clients were funding our growth. You know, think of like, you know, Warren Buffett's strategy, you know, using insurance float. Um, I essentially had a, a much smaller version of that where I was able to pre-collect and, and still pre-collect our fees to, to grow our business. Um, I think the other thing is, is that, you know, a lot of these types of consulting firms aren't good at demanding or at, um, at revenue, you know, generating demand for, for revenue. Um, but I had channels of acquisition uh, in terms of, you know, customers built in from day one because the partner, uh, the software you know, vendor that I partnered with, uh, you know, I, I essentially said, look, if I'm going to make this leap of faith, you know, go off my own, I need you to you know, provide uh, you know, some consistent level of, of work. As, of course, we need to prove ourselves and I don't expect you to keep sending us work. Um, if we don't do a good job, but, you know, I got them to commit to, to, you know, when we first started a couple jobs and, you know, we delivered those with hundred percent customer satisfaction rates and we did it in far less time than even their internal services team um, were able to do. And that, that earned us, uh, you know, a, a good reputation on top of the one I already had as an evangelical client that said yes to every opportunity that they had come to me to do customer reference calls or speak to, you know, venture capitalists when they were raising money or private equity, when they, you know, got to that stage in their growth journey uh, to do webinars. So by the time, you know, I was becoming a partner for them, I already had, you know, a six year history with them, you know, making a bet on them in their early days when they were a 50 person startup um, that, you know, has, has grown substantially since then. And then on top of that, there was my own network and the people that I was bringing in, they were already high level, you know, finance executives, um, that had a large network of, of folks that could potentially be clients um, and being able to wear both the, the practitioner's lens of having, you know, depth of experience in finance accounting, but also being technically savvy and having used a product like this to you know, bring efficiencies um, and improvements to a business, I think was a huge um, you know, value proposition and, and you know, unique selling point for us versus any other consulting firm out there. Were you investing in anything along the way or did you did you put all your investment into this business I put out so th this business I started with two hundred and sixty seven dollars and some change and I I my my was that just a filing I, fee <laughs> yeah so that, I, that was for me to file a um, DBA you know for this the sole proprietorship that's how we started before we incorporated you know in August of 2019 and then I also bought you know the domain name for for the business that I set up for you know setting up eventually a website but any everything beyond that 267 dollars 
I, I promised, you know, made a commitment to myself that the business would fund itself. It would, you know, fund the growth. We wouldn't buy business cards until there was, you know, cash flow to buy business cards. We wouldn't put up a website until we, you know, had, you know, taken enough, you know, uh, or made enough, you know, to, to fund that, uh, that website um, and so on and so forth. So I never put another dollar in the business beyond that 267. And like I said earlier, our clients funded our growth because we were pre-collecting. Um, I did take out a, a line of credit early on before I started the business because I didn't know that the industry standard was pre-collection. And uh, so once I learned that, I, I never even had to use the the line of credit that I had established on my primary residence before, you know, leaving my my previous employer. And in terms of you know investing, so all the cash flow I was I was mortgage free, right? I had I was paying myself you know a couple hundred thousand dollar a year salary from the business. And then, you know, I was, I still, in the beginning, I still owned 75% of the business. So I was also, you know, taking 75% of the profits in terms of profit distribution on a quarterly basis. So I had significant cash flow to deploy and I didn't have to really keep much in the business. Uh, so I kept, you know, deploying that elsewhere and, and diversifying that cash flow um, to build up, you know, as I mentioned earlier, to build up that income stream of $250,000 a year. That was, that was goal number one. And then goal number two was to start just planting as many seeds as I could that would you know, turn into uh, eventual liquidity events somewhere down the road, you know, some smaller and some, you know, hopefully larger as, as they, you know, germinate and, and, and turn into something, you know, much, much bigger than what I invested. That's awesome. So 267 bucks, that's all. I mean, start this business and it cash flowed and, and, and gave you basically the, the runway to, to accomplish all these other goals. That's awesome. Yeah, so if you, look at the, if you look at the numbers, sorry to, uh, to interrupt, but like the, the $267, you know, from, from, from start to sale, it took me 32 months and, and I, I only sold, sold uh, you know, 60% of the business collectively between me and my partners. And that return, um, if you look at just just the valuation, so we exited about a seven million dollar valuation, um, was about you know a compound annual growth rate of about forty four hundred percent per year. Uh, but then if you look at the the profit distribution of you know we we distributed almost two million dollars in dividends uh, you know to to myself and and my you know partners, which you know that that number grew over time. I ended up with with uh, four other partners besides my co founder by the time we sold. So in, you know that that was over thirty two months. Um, you know that that if you look at the total return it was, you know, almost 3.2 million percent. I mean, it's, it's kind of an astronomical number that's kind of mind blowing and, and, you know, kind of hard to, to realize. Uh, but, you know, my personal value over 32 months, I was able to, you know, create essentially $6 million out of an investment that rounds to zero. So you get this big exit. What do you do? Do you go buy anything crazy? Do you do anything different in your, in your personal investment life? Walk us through kind of that, you know, the month prior to, to selling and the month after, a couple months after. Um, do I buy anything crazy? Uh, I wouldn't say it was crazy. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big spender, although I'm not also the, you know, I'm not, I'm not ex an extreme, uh, frugality person either. I'm, I'm more one that practices relative frugality, you know, so I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, make $400,000 a year and, 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 and spend $200,000 a year than make 40,000 and, and spend 20,000. Um, you know, maybe, maybe I, I enjoy, uh, indulgences a bit more than, than the average person, but relative to our income, I've always spent, you know, significantly less, than what we make. So in terms of crazy purchases, you know, my celebration, you know, after we closed the deal was to go buy a, a foil board, electronic foil board uh, to, you know, kind of have a, a new hobby because one of the things that I had planned to do and I have done successfully since selling, you know, a major stake in the business is to take my, 
my working hours, um, you know, down significantly. So, you know, I only allocate 40 hours a week now. I know that probably sounds funny, but it feels like I, I work part time, <laughs> um, you know, having worked 70 to 80 hours a week for the last decade, it, it really does feel like I work, work part time. And so I needed to pick up a, a new hobby. Um, and so I, I bought that board that was a, you know, $15,000 purchase. And I actually bought two, one for me, one for my father-in-law so we could do something together. But other than that, you know, like in terms of the amount of cash flow that, you know, I generated from that sale as, as well as, you know, even the, the cash that was generated leading up to the sale, we didn't make very large purchases. We did over the course of, you know, say 2020 through, through today, um, you know, make, uh, you can call it installment payments on our, on our dream home. Um, we actually ended up buying my in-laws house uh, that they, they they had built 30 years ago out in wine country. So, you know, pre-pandemic, right before the, the, the lockdown, we had decided that we want, you know, we wanted to buy this property after looking at others and, you know, kind of planning with, with my in-laws in terms of what their plans were. You know, we, we, we put 25% down. That was, you know, back, back then it was about $385,000 in, in early 2020, right before the pandemic. And then uh, we actually just moved into the house in December of 21. So you can call that a couple months after the, uh, the sale. And we, we had decided once we sold our other house, you know, not necessarily proceeds from this, but we would pay off the mortgage here. And so, cause we assumed a, a small $400,000 mortgage on the property. So we paid that off. Um, and then we've been, you know, paying to, to have improvements. So like we, we plan to spend about $500,000 this year, you know, that's 300,000 more than we've ever spent in any, any given year. Um, but you know, it's kind of one-time expenses to essentially turn this property into a resort that we never have to check out of. And, and what does that entail? Um, so I've, you know, that we're on five acres. Uh, the main house is uh, 5,400 square feet and there, there is a pool. So we're, we're redoing the pool, adding jacuzzi, putting a full outdoor kitchen. Um, I've added a cold plunge. Uh, we've got a little yoga studio. My wife loves yo- yoga. I just installed a sauna. Uh, we're about to convert one of our bathrooms into a steam room shower um, to have, you know, kind of those spa amenities. Uh, and then, you know, we have two garages that are, uh, main, you know, att- attached to the main house. And so the lower garage I've actually converted, you know, it's about 600 square feet that I converted into a gym and office area. And so this is just like the ultimate, you know, entertainer's house and the, 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 you know, kind of resort style where we can, you know, we don't really have to leave, but we have a masseuse that comes every other week here to give us massages and, you know, soon we'll have the the pool and, and jacuzzi up and running right now. It's drained as we work through per, the permitting process. So we can add a um, jacuzzi and, and a outdoor kitchen. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the goal right now. And we're hoping to have all these improvements done by the end of the year. Sweet, man. I'm coming to visit. <laughs> Look me up. Awesome. So at this point, you've had the exit, you know, you're going to, you've got basically a contractual obligation and, and we don't get into all the details and whatnot. You're going to be doing this for a few more years. You've got a big goal to, to kind of be done at 40. What do you do with, with the cash that you have in terms of looking at your investments? Where are you deploying? Are you putting it in the market? Are you putting it into real estate? Are you going to put it into more small business? What's kind of the thought process there? So it's, it's kind of funny because when I first put together, you know, uh, back in 2015, I put together a 20 year plan to, you know, at the time I had a $200,000 net worth and I wanted to get to a $10 million net worth by the time I was 48. And the, the way I envisioned getting there has been substantially different than how I actually got here. And, and what do I mean by that? I thought I would have 60% of my net worth in equities. Um, I think I had, you know, less than 5%, you know, valuation coming from a business. And then I had, you know, some allocation to cash and, and some allocation to real estate. You know, real estate might have been, you know, 20 or so um, percent. That might not add up to 100%, but just vaguely, you know, kind of going there. But what I've learned over time 
is that although I understand the equities market, and I also, you know, I trade options and things like that, a larger majority uh, or a majority of our net worth has been tied up in more illiquid investments, whether it's, you know, from the equity of, of building a business or investing in real estate that isn't as easy as to transact. And I found that I actually look at, you know, the, the lack of liquidity as a benefit versus, you know, a, a defect because it keeps me disciplined versus, you know, the, the constant repricing of, of equities on a daily basis. You know, it, with my type of personality, it makes me want to be more of a trader than I probably should be because I'm, I'm, I'm not as, as, as smart as, as I may think I am. Um, and so if you look at our you know, net worth, you know, composition today, um, I'll kind of just give you a, a flavor for that, you know, of, of the total pie right now, about 30% is made up of, of business equity. That's the, the equity that I still have directly into the business that I own. Um, I have one final payment coming later this year that will take that down um, probably, you know, to a less than 20%. And that's already kind of contractually uh, obligated in terms of, you know, how I negotiated the structure of my deal. Um, and then I have another 20% that's tied up in my primary residence, another 20% in other, you know, real estate. Uh, some of that is, you know, I, I've done uh, several cannabis leaseback deals where we buy the commercial property and then, you know, lease it back to cannabis companies on a, a 15 year triple net lease. You know, they have to put substantial money into improvements to make it, you know, ready for indoor cultivation. And these are all, um, you know, cash deals, you know, and, and you're looking at 18 to 25% cash on cash returns. Um, I've done other, you know, I've gotten into the hospitality space when those those were kind of beaten down in the middle of the pandemic. Um, I've gotten into larger, you know, multifamily type uh, deals as well. And then I've got a big bucket, um, you know, 18%, you know, I mean, you can round up to another 20% of, uh, you know, other um, alternative assets. And that's comprised of, you know, investments in, in private businesses. I also have uh, exposure to a private equity fund. Um, I've got exposure to, uh, a big solar deal that I, I did this year that allowed me to essentially do a lot of tax planning uh, for the income that I plan to generate this year, which will be you know almost you know north of you know three three million dollars for for 2022. Um, so it allowed me to not only get a, a really good return, but also to address a really big tax problem because you know by investing in this, it allowed for you know substantial tax credits as well as uh, bonus depreciation. Um, and then I have you know a, about five percent allocated to crypto. Uh, I only got 3% in stocks and then the rest is in cash. Interesting. And and do you plan to kind of keep that on a go forward basis? So right now I'm I'm in I'm in a, a process of you know kind of rebalancing as I continue to extract, you know, the the turning equity into into capital. Um I, I will continue to kind of diversify away from the, the business equity equa- equation, except for, you know, as it, it'll, it'll balloon over time, as long as we continue to grow the business, but um, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not trying to, to, to concentrate in, in any one area, but I do want to um, redeploy that capital. So like right now with a 3% stock allocation, I have some deals that I participated that I kind of put in the other alternatives bucket. Um, like I did, I did a SPAC, right. And, and that's now gone public and I'm going to get those shares sometime here in the next couple months. So that will move over to the, the stock, to the stock bucket, you know, in my real estate bucket, I, I had invested in a, in a fund that was non, you know, it was non-listed. Um, it was a public uh, REIT or sorry, non-listed public REIT. Um, and that's now gone public. So that'll move into the, into the stocks bucket. Um, and I do, I, I kind of have this, you know, vision where I kind of over time, you know, probably not necessarily just selling assets to, to reallocate, but just using additional capital or liquidity events to, to balance it out. I like to get stocks probably up to like 10%, but I'm probably going to continue to focus on 
illiquid investments just because I think, you know, the trade-off you you tip you tend to get a higher return for the lack of liquidity. And like I said, you know, you don't have this urge to to overtrade or overmanage a position. It, it keeps you disciplined um, because you can't really trade in and out. You don't have the option. It's it's a liquid. So I'll probably continue to to allocate to real estate and private investments, you know, whether that's through um, private equity, uh, venture capital, um, or directly into to businesses that I get an opportunity to invest in. Why have you not utilized a, a Roth IRA to invest in any of this, in these private business or illiquid businesses? So I, I haven't used a Roth IRA. One is, you know, my income's been too high to contribute to one directly. I can do the back, you know, backdoor conversion. Um, I've just been so busy. It's, it's one of those things that's kind of been on the list to to do a conversion. And uh, I even, I even, I'm contemplating potentially doing it um, uh, again this year, assuming it's still a viable option. Cause I think it was at some point on the table of potentially going away and then, and then using that money to, to, to do that. It's, it's just one of those things where my income has been growing substantially and it's another kind of tax liability to, to have to address. Um, and it just hasn't been convenient for me to, um, with all the tax planning that I've done to address the, the, the income without doing that, you know, conversion. But hey, you know, it could be also maybe, maybe I don't know no what I don't know what I don't know, and maybe I'm missing an opportunity here. So uh, open to you or your guests educating me. <laughs> well, we can we can have a convo offline, but uh, interesting. Well, Dom, last words of advice for for anybody who who maybe wants to take that leap into entrepreneurship or or just has a, a, a you know an idea that they want to be in some more illiquid assets because I think it's a, an interesting take, especially for our show. That, that you've got in, in being willing to be in, you know, a significant portion of your net worth and illiquid assets? Yeah, well, I think, I think the, the, the first thing is I, I still echo what I said back in 2019 when I did my first episode here. I still believe that a path to a high net worth is, or the more, most sure path is, is a high income paired with a high savings rate. I've been super focused on, on increasing income, whether that be through, you know, my career on the corporate side or, or through building a business. I've just been hypersensitive to to growing an income, but in terms of you know whether you start a business or you know you you go into you know liquid assets, I think you really need to pair that you know everything is a balance game, right? So yes, I have uh, um, a a leaning towards illiquid uh, you know assets, but I make sure that I keep plenty of cash fun, you know, my daily life, you know, I, I probably over allocate on cash. Like if you look at right now, I've got, you know, over $600,000 of cash sitting in the bank and our burn rate, you know, outside of some of the improvements we're doing on the house is, you know, no more than, you know, 150 to $200,000 a year, depending on the year and what we're doing. Um, so I, you know, and then the cash flow, you know, we're, we're still generating probably, you know, anywhere from, you know, 60 to $120,000 a month in income between, you know, our, our W2 employment through, you know, my business that I, I now work for, you know, a larger, a larger company, my wife runs her own business, but is on sal you know, on salary there. And we both still get profit distributions from our respective businesses. And then there's the passive income from those liquid investments. So they might be liquid, but they also still provide cash flow. Um, so even in a bad year, like if I look at next year, if I, you know, even if I stop working, um, you know, we, we probably still have something, you know, close to a seven figure income, but just based off of our profit distribution and passive income alone. Um, so that, what, what's, what's, what's the takeaway there is, you know, balance that, you know, desire for a liquid assets to get the higher return to keep discipline with maintaining a high enough cash flow. Yes, there's an opportunity cash of or sorry, opportunity cost of keeping cash on the sidelines, especially with inflation where it is today. 
but again, you, you don't want to you don't want to find yourself naked when the tide goes out, right? So I, I would say if, if you if you want to follow uh, in my footsteps or or you have the same kind of inclination, try to find that balance. And look, your your balance might be different than mine. I I, I have an aversion to uh, debt, um, and so I I tend to keep a higher higher cash cash balance. Um, and then in terms of entrepreneurship, I've always been a big fan of you know having a side hustle that eventually might turn into your to your full time hustle. Um, you never know when a small stream might turn into an ocean of of cash flow. And uh, as as you saw in, in in the beginning of this interview, I talked about how I started this business while I was still you know gainfully employed and didn't make the jump until I knew that the the cash flow was not only significant enough to offset my current income and any kind of current comp package in terms of you know the equity I had in my my previous employer, but that I I had a, a strong belief that it was going to significantly outpace my ability to earn and grow my family's net worth if I were to stay employed. Yeah, that's awesome. That's Dom net worth, well over 8 million. Come kind of on the show today. No problem. Thank you so much for having me and uh, looking forward to uh, connecting in the future. All right. Thanks, Dom. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.